Chapter Nine of the Zeitgeist. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Greg Giordano. The Zeitgeist by Lily Dugall. Chapter Nine. Anne's plan of the way in which Toyner, more than any other man, could aid her father was simple enough. He who was known to be in pursuit of Markham was to take him as a friend through the town at the mills and start him on the road at the other side. Markham was little known at the mills, and no one would be likely to take the companion of the constable to be the criminal for whose arrest he had been making so much agitation. They were to travel at the early hour of dawn, when few were stirring. This plan, with such modifications as his own good sense suggested, Torner was willing to adopt. He started earlier in the evening than she had done, having no particular desire for secrecy. He told his friends that he was going to row to the mills by night, and those who heard him supposed that he had gained some information concerning Markham that he thought it best to report. It was a calm night. The smoke of distant burning was still in the air. He dropped down the river in the dark hours before the moonrise, and began to row with strength, as Anne had done, when he reached the placid water. His boat was light and well built. He could see a few yards of dark water in advance. He could see the dark outline of the trees. The water was deep. There were no rocks, no hidden banks. He did not make all the haste he could, but rode on meditatively. He was always more or less attracted by solitude. Tonight, the mechanical exercise, the darkness, the absolute loneliness, were greater rest to him than sleep would have been. In a despairing, dull sort of way, he was praying all the time. His mind had contracted a habit of prayer at least of expressing his thoughts to the divine being, in the belief that they were heard may be called prayer. Probably no one so old or so wise but that he will behave childishly, if he can but feel himself exactly in the same relation to a superior being that a child feels to a grown man. Toyner expressed his grievance over and over again, with childlike simplicity. He explained to God, that he could not feel it to be right or fair that, when he had prayed so very much, and prayers of the sort to which a blessing was promised, he should be given over to the damning power of circumstance, launched in a career of backsliding, and made thereby not only an object of greater scorn to all men than if he had never reformed, but actually as it appeared to him more worthy of scorn. He did not expect his complaint to be approved by the deity, and gained therefore no satisfying sense that the prayer had ascended to heaven. The moon arose, the night was very warm, into the aromatic haze a mist was arising from the water on all sides. It was not so thick but that he could see his path through it in the darkness, but when the light came he found a thin film of vapor between him and everything at which he looked. The light upon it was so great that it seemed to be luminous in itself, and it had a slightly magnifying power, so that distances looked greater, objects looked larger, 
in the wild desolate scene with which he was familiar had an aspect that was awful because so unfamiliar when toyner realized what the full effect of the moonlight was going to be he dropped his oars and sat still for a few minutes wondering if he would be able to find the landmarks that were necessary so strange did the landscape look so wonderful and gigantic were the shapes which the dead trees assumed then he continued his path looking for a tree that was black and blasted by lightning he was obliged to grope his way close to the trees thus his boat bumped once or twice on hidden stumps it occurred to him to think what a very lonely place it would be to die in and a premonition that he was going to die came across him having found the blasted tree he counted four fallen trees they came at intervals in the outer row of standing ones then there was a break in the forest and he turned his boat into it and paused to listen the sound that met his ear almost the strangest sound that could have been heard in that place was that of human speech it was still some distance away but he heard a voice raised in angry excitement supplicating threatening defying and complaining toyner began to row down the untried waterway which was open to his boat the idea that any one had found markham in such a place and at such an hour was too extraordinary to be accredited toyner looked eagerly into the mist he could see nothing but queer-shaped gulfs of light between trunks and branches again his boat rubbed unexpectedly against the stump and again the strange premonition of approaching death came over him for a moment he thought that his wisest course would be to return then he decided to go forward but before obeying this command his mind gave one of those sudden self-attentive flashes the capacity for which marks off the mind of the reflective type from others he saw himself as he sat there his whole appearance and dress he took in his history and the place to which that hour had brought him he bart toyner a thin somewhat drooping middle-aged man unsuccessful because of his self-indulgence and all that he had attempted yet having carried about with him always high desires which had never had the slightest realization except in the one clear shining space of vision and victory which had been his for a few months and now was gone the light had mocked him now perhaps he was going to die he pushed his boat on his sensations melting into an excited blank of thought in which curiosity was alone apparent he was growing strangely excited after his long calm despondency no doubt the excitement of the other who was shouting and jabbering not far away in the moonlit night affected him he found his way through the trees of the opening evidently the splash of his oar was caught by the owner of the noisy voice for before he could see any one a silence succeeded to the noise a sudden absolute silence in itself shocking are you there markham cried toyner no answer toyner peered into the silver mist on all sides of him the sensation of the diffused moonlight was almost dazzling the trees looked far away large and unreal at length among them he saw the great log that had fallen almost horizontal with the water upon it a solitary human figure stood erect in an attitude of frenzied defiance i have come from your daughter markham then in a moment by way of self-explanation he said toyner 
the man addressed only flung a clenched fist into the air the silence of his pantomime now that there was someone to speak to was made ghastly by the harangue which he had been pouring out upon the solitude have you lost your head asked toyner i have come from your daughter i'm not going to arrest you but set you down at the mills you can go where you will then he knew now the answer to his first question the man before him was in some stage of delirium toyner wondered if anyone could secretly have brought him drink there was nothing to be done but to soothe as best he could the other's fear and enmity and to bring the boat close to the tree for him to get in it whether he was sane or mad it was clearly necessary to take him from that place markham retained a sullen silence but seemed to understand so far that he ceased all threatening gestures his only movements were certain turnings and sudden crouchings as if he saw or felt enemies about him in the air now get in said toyner he had secured the boat he pulled the other by the legs and guided him as he slipped from his low bench sit down you can't stand you know but markham showed himself able to keep his balance and alert to help in pushing off the boat there was a heavy boat pole ready for use in shallow water and markham for a minute handled it adroitly pushing off from his tree toyner turned his head perforce to see that the boat was not proceeding towards some other dangerous obstacle then markham with a sudden swift cunning of madness lifted the butt-end of his pole and struck him on the head toyner sank beneath the blow as an ox shivers and sinks under the well-aimed blow of the butcher markham looked about him for a moment with an air of childish triumph looked not alone at the form of the fallen man before him but all around in the air as if he had triumphed not over one but over many no eye was there to see the look of fiendish revenge that flitted next over the nervous working of his face then he fell quickly to work changing garments with the limp helpless body lying in the bottom of the boat with unnatural strength he lifted toyner dressed in his own coat and hat to the horizontal log on which he had lived for so long he took the long mesh of woolen sheeting that his daughter had brought to be a rest and support to his own body and with it he tied toyner to the upright tree against which the log was lying then with an additional touch of fiendish satire he took a bit of dry bread out of the ample bag of food which ann had hung there for his own needs and laid it on toyner's knees having done all this he pushed his boat away with reckless rapidity and rowed it back into the open water steering with that unerring speed by which a somnambulist is often seen to perform a dangerous feat the moonlit mist in the silence of night closed around this lonely nook in the dead forest and toyner's form sitting upon the fallen log in the open river where no line determined the meeting of the placid moonlit water and the still moonlit mist the boat dashed like a dark streak up the white winding ahuihi toward the green forest around fentown falls the small dark figure of the man within it was working at his oars with the strength and regularity of some powerful automaton at every stroke the prow shot forward and the sound of the splashing oars made soft echoes far and wide end of chapter nine recording by greg giordano newport ritchie florida